You're listening to Ask the Expert on Sprott Money News. Well, greetings once again from Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com. It is October 2018, and this is your Ask the Expert segment. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us this month is Marin Katusa. He is the chairman of the great firm Katusa Research. He's also a hedge fund manager, and his opinions are widely followed throughout the entire precious metal sector. So what a treat to have him join us here for Ask the Expert this month. Marin, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. And before we get started, just remind everybody a little bit about Sprott Money and, uh, and the business that we provide and the services that we provide, anyone can take advantage of Sprott Money's domestic international precious metal storage program. We offer secure storage at six different locations around the world where you can store your precious metals, Canada, U.S., Cayman Islands, Switzerland, even Singapore. Your precious metals will be stored under the trusted Sprott name. They're never mixed, mingled, all that unallocated stuff with other client holdings. For your peace of mind, store your metal with Sprott Money, the most trusted name in precious metals. We will always keep your investments safe, secure, and fully insured. Marin, I've got a list of questions that we have been collecting uh, via the internet, some from Sprott Money customers over the last month. I've got seven of them. Um, If you're ready, should we just roll right into question number one? Sounds good. All right, my friend, just for, for folks that that aren't familiar with Katusa Research and your background, why don't we just start there? Tell us about your background, your firm, your advisory business, and, and what you do. So I started teaching uh, post-secondary calculus. So through that, you know, I thought I was going to go the academic route, finish my PhD in math. I met a mining engineer that had some questions. His son, I was teaching calculus at the university, and he asked if I could uh, solve this problem. I did. It was really interesting. And I said, hey, what's this mining thing? And, and I did a lot of credits in geology in university. And through that, I got heavily invested into tungsten in 2003. Then I got into uranium in 2004. That's where I met Doug Casey. And Doug Casey asked me to come join him full time. I wasn't quite ready to do that because I started through my, you know, I've got a little bit of an OCD personality. I really jumped into this mining because it was, it was my, you know, favorite credits in university. Remember, rocks for jocks. You want to increase your GPA, take some geology courses. Anyways, my wife's a geologist, so I can tease uh, tongue-in-cheek. So anyways, um, ironically, the professor that taught most of my geology courses and was a professor for my wife, who's the head of the department at the University for Geology, ended up working for me for seven years, three years after that point. So as I started doing research for Doug Casey, his partner, David Galland, and Olivier really, you know, made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And, you know, so I was there for a few years. And then in 2008, Doug and David asked me to take over a fund for them that was kind of imploded. Uh, it, it did horrible. And, uh, and and I don't like investing like or even talking about things unless my money's in the game. I'm a big believer in skin in the game. So based off of that track record, I bought out a bunch of people out of the fund who were happy to have an exit. It did phenomenally well within 30 months. It was a 12-bagger in the fund. And at that point, you know, the the guru at Sprott, Rick Rule, approached me and wanted to buy the funds and have me work for him. And I don't really like working for anyone. That was part of the key at Casey Research. I was always left to do my own thing. Uh, I guess I just that type of personality. So interestingly enough, uh, Rick approached me with an idea of his, and we created a fund together, and it was the only fund that Rick was invested in and co-manager 
that was outside of the Sprott label. That fund since has been the top performing fund in the industry. I'm the largest shareholder in the industry, and now we are one of the largest financiers in the junior resource sector. So many of the companies that you see, uh, you know, talked about in our industry that have done well, Rick and I do a lot of, Rick Rule and I do a lot of investing together, um, and that's kind of how I got to where I am today. And because of my following, when I left Casey a few years ago, I started out Casey Research when they were bought out. I didn't go that route, did my own thing. And now we're one of the largest independent research firms for the junior resource sector in the world. So we've got, you know, two Hall of Fame one geologist, one mining engineer works here, and I've got a whole slew of analysts, and, you know, we try to provide the best research. Well, it is certainly uh, valuable for everybody to check out Katusa Research, no doubt about it. And it is really a treat to get your opinion on some of these questions that we've had sent in. Uh, I think we'll start with a question that is kind of a macro question, if you will, Marin. It, it deals with just the economy in general. Um, you know, we've had this... You know, they seem the economy picking up in the U.S., and we've got the Fed hiking the Fed funds rate, that kind of thing. But the yield curve is also uh, starting to invert. So the, curious to find out what your forecast is for the economy in North America as a whole in 2019, and how might that differ from what you were expecting here this year? Well, we've been pretty spot on this year, you know, hopefully. You know, luck is being prepared when the opportunity arises, but, you know, you know, I run the largest junior mining conference with Jay Martin at Cambridge House. Uh, we hosted together, and we had 8,000 people come through our show in Vancouver in January. And you're not popular when you're at a you know gold bug show and you say, hey, the U.S. dollar is going to do phenomenal. And that was in January 2018. Our fund and myself and my newsletter have been saying stay heavy in cash and only invest in the absolute best people. Um, and And I said gold would be under pressure, silver would be under pressure. Um, most of the commodities would be under pressure because of the emerging markets will be under pressure and the U.S. dollar would do well. I think we're going to see more of that go in through to the 2019. People focus on the daily movements of gold and silver. You know, take a macro view. Um, our world, the resource sector, is so, so small. And until the big money comes in, which we're nowhere near that yet, you won't see the big bull market kick in. Um, we're still very, very early days, and this is the market that someone like me or Rick excels at because we have lots of cash and we're looking for undervalued uh, assets. So you, you can't find that in a bull market. You find that in a bear market. So whether it's luck or not, whatever, you, I look at myself as a value speculator. I look for considerably undervalued world-class assets backed and run by world-class management team and there's not that many out there so it's kind of easy to you know find those teams and you just gotta buy in tranches so i think we're going to see more of the same in 2019 i do see the big markets pulling back more it's been an incredible run and reality has to set into the markets and would that mean kind of an economic slowdown too that could ultimately change fed policy Uh, do you think i i think the Fed will increase interest rates a little bit more, then we'll see a slowdown, and they're going to have to rethink their their, their position. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, I, you, in a sense, uh, I've already answered uh, what is question three, but we'll just double back just in case uh, and kind of, I guess, pick at it a little bit larger scale. You mentioned gold and silver, and it's been a tough year uh, for both. Uh, but as you look ahead to, to 19, does the gold and silver market begin to anticipate a slowing economy? You know, and maybe a change in interest rate um, policy? 
again, it comes down to the flow of capital, and we're not seeing how traditionally gold as a safe haven. So the markets yet aren't spooked to that point yet. So I don't see gold running above 1400 anytime soon. Um, and remember, most gold companies or companies that are trying to build assets do not make money under you know $1,300 gold. We're, we're barely holding $1,200 gold because you have to calculate all-in sustaining costs. So yeah. I solely focus on you know the value of these companies and whether gold is 1100 or 1000 or 1250 or 13 it's irrelevant to me because if you really focus on the value in the companies you know you're going to be bought out by someone else moving forward or you'll be able to acquire other valuable assets <clears throat> in that holding company so you know i i, I do see gold uh, more the same you know up or down 50 bucks till about mid 2019 and then at that point let's reassess Alrighty then, I think actually uh, you've set it up perfectly for a segue to the final couple of questions that we've that we've had submitted, and man, these are right in your wheelhouse, no doubt about that. Uh, it was now been, I guess, maybe three weeks ago that there was the announcement of the merger between Barrick and Rand Gold. You know that it, it got a lot of people's attention because we haven't had a lot of M and A activity, certainly not amongst the big companies uh, in the sector for quite some time. Do you think that? That merger is going to draw some attention to the sector and maybe increase the oh, likelihood of more mergers next year? Definitely. But let me pose a scenario that no one's ever talked about. Let's say hypothetically, and this may or may not be true, but let's just say hypothetically, Barrick Gold tried to take out Gold Corp. And now Gold Corp management were spooked because they see themselves significantly undervalued. Remember, just you know, seven, eight years ago, they were pretty much equal market cap. Now, Barrick's twice the size of Gold Corp because Gold Corp made some moves. And you understand the chairman of Gold Corp is a personal friend of mine. He wrote a big support of my book. Um, Ian Telfer, brilliant, brilliant, honorable man, great guy. But here's the reality. The market's changed. So what if Barrick went after Gold Corp? And now Gold Corp's sitting there going, crap, we're going to get taken out significantly undervalued in a bear market. That's not what you want as a major gold producer. So what if, hypothetically, this may or may not be true, Gold Corp then says, you know what, as defense, let's go to another major producer, such as possibly Newmont. And now Newmont and Gold Corp say, you know what, as a defense mechanism, let's take over Barrick and let's chop up the company, such that Newmont, who have some incredible assets in the Americas, and let's say Newmont chops up the Nevada assets and the Gold Basin assets. So now you focus and, and Gold Corp gets the other assets, and now that threat of Gold Corp getting taken out doesn't work. So if that's going to happen, now Barrick is vulnerable. So what did they do? They have to have a defense mechanism. So to answer your question, part of what I believe is the reason the merger happened was um, you know, the ex-bankers who were running Barrick realized that, uh-oh, there's going to be moves. There's always major consolidation at the bottom of the market. We are very close to the bottom of the market, okay? I don't know if it lasts, you know, people say, are we in the eighth inning of the bear market? Well, I don't know how long the inning lasts. That's the whole point of innings. There's no time frame. So, you know, it's not like the third period where you got one minute remaining. Um, so Barrick then went to Rand Gold, and now that changed the whole game because if you originally think about how someone like Franco Nevada was spun out of a Newmont, which was a gold producer. So the whole game is reverting back to the bottom of the market. So yes, 
there will be more consolidation, and more importantly, the mid-tiers are looking at how do we beef ourselves up, companies such as B2, who's run by a very close friend of mine, Clive Johnson, uh, who's you know gone from zero to almost a million ounces and has some world-class assets. He's looking at it going, crap, I'm cheap, I'm undervalued, I don't want to get bought out by someone bigger, so i got to make some moves too. So definitely you're going to see action in the markets. And that's very good for people who are positioned because you make money on takeouts because of the increase in the profit. Yeah. Right? You can't, no one's going to buy you out below your market value. It's going to be a premium so the shareholders say yes. And you've had a great track record, uh, especially of late, in identifying some of those possible M&A companies. Yeah, you know, we've done very, very well. We're the, you know, when you compare us to any other newsletter or any other fund, my fund compared to any of our peers has significantly uh, um, outperformed everyone else. But, you know, I don't see the differences. I don't play poker with toothpicks. I invest millions of dollars, and I'm very close to the management teams that I invest and I scrutinize the board and the management and the share structure, and I invest alongside at the same time at the same price as my own subscribers to my newsletter. So that's something that differentiates me. So you better believe that what I'm writing about affects me and it's some things that I think about because I have a considerable amount of my net worth in these markets. So definitely, you know, we, we haven't had that many recommendations. That's been part of the, you know, um, perhaps my newsletter isn't the, oh, every month there's a great new idea. I don't have that, but I do have some very solid ideas that I buy 5 or 10% of a company, and they've worked out very well. The next question is one I've, I've been looking forward to uh, getting your opinion on. Uh, Eric and I, when we do our uh, weekly wrap-up segments, we've been talking about the Pilbara region down in Australia for about gee, more than a year now. So I'm really curious to get your opinion. It's kind of a two-pronged question that was sent in. Uh, what is your opinion of the Pilbara conglomerate stocks? And then second, do you believe that rare earth metal companies are worthy of an investment in this current geopolitical climate? Okay, so let's separate the two because they're very yeah. differentiated. Uh, the first one, let me give you some color on it. Uh, the, the company that Eric significantly invested in is run by Quinton Henning. I've known Quinton for a long time. He's been in my office. Good guy. So, yes, it's real. The question is, is how real will the results be? What's the recovery rates? You know, it's still early days, but these are good people, and there's real potential there. But the difference is, is when Kirkland Lake made the move and made the major investment in Novo, let's take a step back. And Eric's a friend. I've known Eric's brought for many, many, many years. But here's the reality. Uh, Kirkland Lake, or, run by Tony McCooch, who's done a great job of that, was kind of a consolidation. And, and the real asset that produced significant value that a lot of people don't recognize, which is on my website, the first thing I ever published as Katusa Research was when I bought 10% of a company called New Market. So buying that big of a position, uh, and the New Market had these producing assets in Australia. And I said, people don't understand the value of these assets. Watch this company. And interestingly enough, I sold half of my position, so 5% of the company, to Eric Sprott when he got positioned. It was a great score for my fund and my subscribers, and a new market got bought out by Kirkland Lake, which Eric Sprott was the chairman of. And that's, you know, Kirkland Lake made the investment. So if 
Eric Sprott wasn't involved on both sides of that. Would it have happened? Maybe, maybe not. So my point is, is Eric Sprott is incredibly important to the development of that story, and that's why Kirkland Lake is significantly invested, and it's directly because of Eric Sprott. So in the next 12 months, the results, uh, the data will provide significant amount of um, uh, conclusion to where are we going. So I think it's I'm not an investor in the either company today. I've done very well in Kirkland Lake, but I think I'm going to sit back and see how Novo's results and 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 don't underestimate Quinton. He's a very very smart guy and knows these types of formations better than anyone else on the planet. I'll add one little thing is I, I call it the way I see it. Some of Quinton's closest friends have sold their positions in the company, so that's also a little bit of a okay. okay they, they're not long as they were once. Eric is. But many of Quinton's, uh, you know, like guys like Brent Cook or whoever, they've taken a lot of money off the table on that play. And uh, that's directly from Brent, who's a friend also. Yeah. I wonder if, too, there's kind of an opportunity cost there of having to wait and wait and wait, you know. Exactly. And, you know, you'll you'll see uh, when companies, there's that nine months before they go into uh, production, the market doesn't care; it gets bored, especially in a in a bear yeah. market. So I agree with you. That's why you've seen Nova go from four and a half to you know two and a half Canadian per share. People are going, well, geez, you know, we're not going to really know anything for six months. So what's our opportunity cost? Maybe we'll come back to it later. Yeah. That's what it's suffering today. All right, and, and on that rare earth uh, company and, and mining uh, question, yeah, anything you can add there? Look, there's absolutely no shortage of rare earths. I know it sounds like they're rare but they're not um so uh, again the so many of these companies i saw in the last market um you know if you want to know the best guys in the world for rare earth the one that the u.s government uses is a close friend of mine named clink cox at anchor house i have no association investment wise other than this guy spent his whole career on it and you know he advises the japanese government the uh, the u.s uh, government and you know I was heavily involved and did incredibly well between 2007 and 2010 in rare earth, but you'll see there's absolutely no shortage of it. Uh, I, I think 2019 vanadium will be uh, a good speculation to be, just kind of like cobalt was, the, you know, in 2017, early 2018. Um, but the rare earth, uh, people have figured out that there's no shortage of it. All right, I've just got two buyer questions. beware. Buyer beware. Well, and then you say that anywhere, I suppose. That's that's always a good uh, way to look at things. No doubt about that. Um, Marin, I've got just two questions left. I've got to uh, ask your help on this one because I, I don't know anything about, is it Pretium Resources, Pretium Resources? How do you pronounce that one? Yeah, so Pretium. Pretium, um, okay. And, it yeah, lo- it so looks like... the deposit. No, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it looks like uh, there's been some exaggerated reserve estimates there. The question, the questioner stated, obviously you know the chairman pretty well, but there's some ongoing stuff. Can you just kind of add some color to what you think is happening there? Okay, so this is a very high-grade, uh, underground, permitted producing project, gold project in uh, B.C. Okay, so when it was spun out of um, Silver Standard, when... Bob Quartermain left. Uh, he raised money at you know six dollars and fifty cents in the IPO. Bob Quartermain is an absolute gentleman. He's a world class guy. But what people have to understand: these gold systems are so nuggety that you could drill and have multi, like we're talking about multi ounce intersection, 
and then you move three feet over, yeah. and it might be, you know, one-fiftieth of an ounce. Exactly. So mathematically, it's very difficult to do the formation. So going back a few years ago, the two engineering firms had debate, and you know, but the company has to move forward. And this is the problem with so many analysts. They focus on, you know, these pre-feasibility studies and feasibility studies as the gospel. You know, like they have so much faith in these, you know, um, especially when you calculate, you know, an MPV at 5% discount. But if your cost of capital is 8%, why the hell are you going with a 5% MPV? Nothing against Bob Quartermain and all that. I am not a shareholder, but I always said, you know, this is a high-risk type of underground um, production it's going to be very spotty and you know they're going to meet their numbers but to get there what type of debt have they taken on and did they miss the window of fourteen fifteen hundred dollar gold because there's very little room for error when you have debt on your balance sheets do i think it'll work out well in the end i do because world-class people find solutions to problems uh, but then you have the short attack guys who are trying to manipulate and do their thing so uh, could the resource report be overinflated intentionally? No, not at all. But will the results quarter to quarter change significantly? Yes. Yeah. And that's the nature of those deposits. And, and unfortunately, so many analysts, when they are working with spreadsheets, this is the problem of too many people in the office rather than experience in the industry. They, they, they can't quantify that type of variability. But this is mining. It's a very tough business. And expect the unexpected. There you go. All right, one last question, my friend. Um, and this, I, I just kind of, I don't know how specific you want to get, but the, the question that was sent in was just simply, what are your top three mining picks at present? Well, usually I give that to my subscribers who pay me for that. But right. since, you know, you guys are sprot, and I've got a long relationship with, you know, some of the key guys like Peter Groskoff and Eric and Rick. I call them the three horsemen. Um Hopefully, uh, you know, the, the resource industry will figure out who the fourth is. But, um, you know, I think there's one story that uh, I raised significant amount of capital for. I'm one of the largest investors next to the chairman who's the largest investor. And it's not just me who thinks it. You always start in the resource sector with people, people, people. And uh, Ross Speedy is an incredible guy. Uh, with an incredible track record, but more importantly, has invested over $100 million into a public company that you can buy at the same price as his cost base. So, you know, there's value there, but value is also, like, this is a great company, but, you know, value is what the price you paid for it. And when the chair, there's no cheap stock here. There's no one-tenth of a penny paper that people have to understand and avoid in the industry. The chairman just has bought tens of millions of dollars in the last few months at the same price that you, a teacher or a doctor or me or you, uh, can buy in the market at the same price at the same time. And what he's doing is consolidating, and by 2020, they're going to be producing well over 300,000 ounces of gold. So there's going to be a revaluation to that point. But because they're about to get there, nobody really cares. But the smart money uh, cares. Guys like Rick Rule and me and Eric Sprott, we care. When someone like Ross is getting excited and writing huge checks, you know, and, and I'm emphasizing that because very few people, like, the, there's very few funds today compared to just three years ago, never mind during the bull market. Yeah. So guys like Rick and, and me and, and Ross, 
most companies come to us and we've now got together and saying, geez, you know, let's back someone like Ross who now has built an incredible team with Krishna Milau and Greg Smith and a, and a really solid board who are heavily invested in the stock actually at prices higher than we can buy today. So that's one. It's called Equinox Gold. Its ticker symbol is EQX. Now, I'm one of the largest shareholders, and my average cost base is actually higher than where it's trading today. But I keep buying it because I believe in it. And one day, you know, whether gold's 1350 or 1400 you will start seeing the bigger funds or perhaps even a larger company try to take it over. Yeah. Um, and that, that's where I would start with. And, you know, people go, well, geez, your track record's incredible. But, you know, it's easy to say, well, you've had so many buyouts here in the last, you know, 12, 18 months. But here's one, when you're going through it, people forget the time cycle of, you know, these projections. This, to me, is a three- to five-year play. And I think if you have that patience and foresight and ability to hold that stock, you would uh, sit there and you're going to do incredibly well. So that's kind of a starting point for uh, people. Another one that actually uh, I think everyone should pay attention to, I think uranium is going to have a great run over the next five years. And uh, the company actually started at my house. It was an idea that I came up with in the name. Um, Rick Rules, a major investor alongside me and my subscribers at the same price, and it's called Uranium Royalty Corp. Um, I just believe that if you look at the royalty companies, they have outperformed the producers and developers and explorers in our sector. They trade at a premium to NAV. They don't take any of the political risk, development risk, exploration risk, production risk. They provide the money, and hopefully they do their due diligence that this mine will be able to execute, and they do a stream or royalty. And in the uranium sector, you know, if you look at, there's over 700 mines producing over 100,000 ounces globally. Half of those have some form of royalty or stream on it. There's less than 10% of the producing uranium mines have a royalty. And there's only one uranium royalty company in the planet. There's many, many, many. Okay, people say, well, there's only 14, you know, publicly listed streaming and royalty companies. But how many SPVs and private funds are doing it? There's over 50 companies. So it's kind of a crowded space, the royalty game in the precious metal sector. And I like being early and no one's doing it in uranium. Hence why guys like Rick and I and the management team have put millions of dollars into this concept. So that's the, another one that I think is going to do very well if you have a three to five year time frame. I don't do day trading. I don't do month-to-month -month trading. I like to take big positions with world-class people and let the story play out. Yep. That's always the best way to go, no doubt about it. And I, I just can't thank you enough, Amarin, for uh, the time you've given us. This has been fascinating, and I think everybody listening has has benefited greatly. Before we go, I just want to remind everybody, again, these, are, these, uh, these Ask the Expert segments are sponsored by Sprott Money. Besides the storage options that you have there, always just terrific deals if you're just in the market to, to stack some metal, either gold or silver. So please visit us at SprottMoney.com. Of course, you can always call us at 888-861-0775. Find out uh, what deals we have on a daily basis. But uh, Sprott Money is the most trusted name in precious metals. I encourage everybody to utilize us as a resource. Marin, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, it's just been a, a real pleasure to get to visit with you. Stay well. Thank you. 
And from all of us here at Sprott Money News and SprottMoney.com, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next month.